Okay, here we are. Marketing management. Money. <laughs> no, you're not allowed to edit that. Yes, I am. <laughs> no, no. Okay, you can go now. I'm ready. All right. So here we are. Marketing management money podcast, small business podcast. Thanks to all of our listeners. We actually have been appreciating, uh, have a pretty good growing following. A lot of the international people, I would love, if you're an international listener, I, I just want to know, you know, kind of what, what your take is. So reach out to us, Ryan, marketingmanagementmoney.com. Send me an email. That'd be awesome. But here's what I want to get into today. And I don't know how polished this is going to be. So disclaimer, we're doing this one on the fly. <laughs> Well, but nor- it's new and exciting material. I, I, I guess it is. Well, so normally, uh, if if anyone is curious what our process is, here's the little behind the scenes. <laughs> so, what will usually happen is, uh, you know, throughout the week or prior to recording, we kind of think about it, and we'll we'll text each other back and forth a couple ideas of you know topics, uh, and then once you know once we've settled on some ideas. Uh, you usually do some good research, and, uh, and I appreciate the research that you do. <laughs> no, I mean, I'll, I'll at least look into it, make sure that, uh, that I'm ready to go. Um, and, and so I hit you up with this topic, but I couldn't even formalize what, what I wanted to cover. And So I'll, I'll start us off then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you start us off. So this is a... For me, a fascinating uh, topic because we deal with. Do, do we know what the topic is? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's so good. you have to uh, wait. I'll I'll share it with you. Okay. Okay. I'm waiting. Um, since it was your idea, <laughs> <laughs> I I couldn't pinpoint exactly what I was trying to tell you. I, I got enough of it to to know where where you're going with it. So, uh, but I love this topic because we see it all the time in business when when a decision needs to be made, mm-hmm. and not just in yeah, uh, day-to-day businesses, but those bigger business uh, decisions that really affect our business, mm-hmm. and and a lot of times there is a, and this is kind of the where we go into the topic that there's a level of risk that is associated with a lot of decisions that we make, mm-hmm. and and sometimes when that risk is thrown in front of us, how how do we handle it? How how do we go through that process to figure out how we're going to deal with this? So. I've been racking my brain to try and pinpoint, you know, where I got the the topic from. I think what happened was um, I I had one of the guys that works for me that came to me with a decision, and there was not a right answer. And I just went back to him and I said, "Look, move, do something, you know, execute a decision." because there's not a right answer and you sitting there and stewing over what the right answer might be or trying to optimize that right answer, uh, you know, it, it, it's not going to get us anywhere. The other situation that, that, that came up recently, so my wife is getting ready to present. Uh, she was asked by an organization to uh, talk about, it's a, a group of educators, and she was going to talk about how to stay motivated when you work in mm. the field of education because it, it, it's a taxing field. It's right. difficult it is. to, uh, you know, to be in that field and, uh, and, and really, 
you know, stay motivated, stay on top of your game. Uh, a lot of times it's kind of thankless, you know, so I do appreciate educators who are out there, you know, really, and, and you can tell, you can tell there are quality educators and then there are people who have kind of checked out. And so I appreciate those who, you know, have stayed quality. But in any case, she came to me and she's like, man, I feel like I, I, I'm, I'm getting sucked into this. You know, I want to do so much. And at what point, you know, so the organization that contracted with her, they wanted all of her slides and all of her handouts so that they could prep for the conference. And so Mm -hmm. she went ahead and produced all the slides and all the handouts. And then after she submitted them, she started having all these other ideas. And she's like, oh, what about this? What about this? And we got into this discussion about, okay, at what point do you just say good enough is good enough? Because at some point you've got to move forward. And she's like, well, I'm so frustrated that they wanted my my content so early that I felt like I put something together, but then had all this time to think about it and come up with better stuff. And and so maybe within the risk, I want to talk about decision-making in general and just, you know, how do you make decisions in business? How do you make good decisions in business? When do you make a decision when, you know, it's, right. it's on the line and you're like, right. look, I got to make real time decisions, you know, so. Well, and, and so I'm going to start with uh, the fact that as a business owner or manager, I want to understand that how that different departments are going to approach those decisions differently. Yes. And you, you have to keep that in mind mm-hmm. that, that how your engineering department approaches a question, a uh, decision is going to be completely different than the accounting department, which is going to be completely different than the sales department, which will be completely different than the R&D. Mm-hmm. Even though we'll find accountant and engineers will align a little bit closer generally, R&D and sales force will generally align a little bit closer. I, but I'm actually glad that you talked about that because this is a good hidden gem. Uh, if you've got, and, and I'm going to go with accounting and sales because those are pretty much in every single business, whether yes. it's formalized or not, Right. those run completely opposite. Yes. Like if you have a good accounting department and a good sales department, they usually don't like each other very much. That is right. And that's a good thing. That's a fantastic thing. <laughs> Which doesn't feel, you know, everyone's like, well, I, I want cohesion in, in you know. No, no, you don't. Yeah. I, I mean, it comes back to the old adage, if we were all the same, life would be boring. Yeah. It would be horrible. Mm-hmm. And and we have to learn to understand that that uniqueness in that business style in those departments is critical to the success of a business. Yeah. We have to have that diversity in thought in order to strengthen us and allow us to see and analyze things more clearly as we go through it. And, and you can quickly jump into a toxic environment, you know, when there are things like self-gratification, sabotage, or, you know, if, right. if someone is willing to hurt the company for their own pride or their own advancement, like these are all toxic behaviors. And that's not what we're talking about here. You know, we're not talking about, you know, having a toxic sales manager who's willing to do anything to get the commission that's going to hurt the company. We're talking about the fact that your sales is trying to push forward. Your accounting is trying to hold back. I always refer to it as it's the gas and the brake in the car. And, you know, I'm like, what would you want to drive without a gas pedal or a brake? You need Neither. both, yeah, and and you know you have to apply on you know one at a time, at the right know, time, at the right time, and if you do it at the wrong time, you know if you fail to push the gas pedal, you never go anywhere. But if you fail to uh, you know hit the brakes, you go off the side of the cliff. And so, anyway, we're getting off on a tangent. Bring it back in. 
you know. And, and so as you look at those different departments uh, and or department heads, it's important to realize that they are going to approach decision-making differently. You have to know that as a as an owner or manager. Yeah. Because then it allows you to actually come in with a more open mind and, and, and understand what things are as you make that decision, whether that decision needs to be made in one hour or two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so can I bring this into one of the foundations of risk that needs to be covered, you know, because you, you kick this off by saying, look, we need to understand risk. We need to understand risk within departments and within individuals because everyone has a different level of risk tolerance. And, you know, as a manager, as an owner, you really should understand what those levels of risk, risk tolerance are, why those are there. I, I see this mistake happen a lot. A lot of times, you know, you'll get like, uh, you know, the CEO or the visionary, you know, whoever wants to drive the company forward with with growth. And they look at, you know, maybe the CFO as being very negative or not on board. Right, right. And they don't understand that that CFO, the person who's overseeing the, you know, the financial side of the company, and whether you have the title CEO and CFO, you know, I mean, you could talk the, you know, the visionary and, you know, the the bookkeeper, you know, there tends to be kind of these two opposing forces in Mm -hmm. most businesses. And so... If you look at that and you say, oh, they're just not on board, they just don't understand my vision, and you try and circumvent them, that it, it completely undermines and undoes everything that they are trying to do. And so you do have to learn to work with them. And so it doesn't mean that they're risk averse. It just means that in their position, in their role, they're not allowed to accept the same level of risk that your role is allowed to accept. And so understanding this, I think, is a good foundation for understanding risk in a business. Yeah, great. I'm glad you brought that clarity in because that's what we do find is the risk tolerance amongst those individuals, those department heads, does drive the decisions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the sales force generally are always looking at opportunities, okay, the accounting department is looking at what's in the bank account. Yeah. yeah. And and if a hard number doesn't say, wait, we can invest in that opportunity, they don't. Whereas sales will say, we can't afford to miss the opportunity. We've <laughs> we've got to figure out how to make it work. Right. And that's, you know, and you know, and the same with the other departments as we go through it. I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail on that as um but but, 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 but I, recognizing that uh, that there's those differences is important as those opportunities for decisions come about. And and I just want to point out this one thing, and then we can keep moving forward. And that is, if you think that your accounting department is risk adverse, look at how much money they will spend on credit. Like if they got to make payroll and they're, they're out there gambling with tens Mm -hmm. of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars every two weeks, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like these people are not risk adverse, but they have, I, I've seen, I've seen owners of companies that get after the accounting department for being risk adverse and then turn around and, you know, like squeam and squirmish over, you know, like a $5,000 investment of the company. And they'll just deliberate about it forever and completely stall (laughs) out. I'm like, your payroll is $100,000 and you're sitting here worrying about a $5,000 decision that's already been made. You just have to approve it. You know, so anyway, don't don't get hung up on 
on the stupid stuff. I guess that's that's kind of what I'm what I'm hitting at right now. So let's let's go in and talk about. All right, so you are a, an owner manager. Decisions come up. I do have a team that I work with. What's the best way to approach that? Because you have to make some tough decisions sometimes. And I like your your point about uh, making sure that we don't circumvent someone and throw them underneath the bus because eventually the next time we ask for their opinion, they stop giving it. Yeah, yeah. And then pretty soon the whole business is just an affirmation. They're all going to just totally agree with you because they're not going to voice their opinion anymore. And that's a bad, you know, do you really want my opinion or do you want my affirmation? Yeah, if you are an owner of a company, if you don't have on a regular basis your management team saying that what you're doing is not a good idea, they're not actually managing. They are just affirming whatever you say. That's right. And and, and I had I had an interesting uh, conversation with a friend of mine that was pretty frustrated with a work situation that they were in that they knew that the decision that was being made was a bad decision. And their immediate supervisor was telling them this is a bad decision, but the owner was circumventing the supervisor and telling them to move forward. And so this friend of mine came to me and said, what do I do? You know, like I'm, I'm in this tough situation where the owner wants something done, you know, and I know it's a bad idea and the supervisor has told me not to do it, but I mean, it's the owner of the company. And I looked right at him and I said, just because they own the company doesn't mean that they oversee your department. You go with your head. You know, your department head has given you sound advice that you agree with. Why are you even factoring in the business owner's decision in this situation? They're like, whoa, like I should just go against the business owner? I'm like, no, no, no. You shouldn't go against the business owner. But understand the role that the business owner has and understand the role that the department head has. So in this instance, you know, and, and I asked him some, some clarifying questions and I'm like, okay, so your department head, do they, you know, do they oversee the department or is it the owner that oversees the department and makes the department head just enforce everything? They're like, no, the department head actually oversees everything. And I'm like, okay, so the department head has been given the autonomy to make decisions you need to respect that authority that they have and not undermine your department head by going with what the owner wants. And if that causes problem, that's a great opportunity for discussion where if the owner comes back and says, why didn't you do what I tell you or told you to do? At that point, you can talk to the owner and say, hey, you and your department head need to figure this out. This isn't my issue here. This is you and your department head need to figure out who actually is, you know, calling the shots for this department. And it really was kind of an interesting thought because, you know, this person's, you know, my friend, their attitude was that the owner gets final say because they own the company. I'm like, that is a bad way to run a business and that's a bad employee mentality is that the owner has final say. Everyone should have checks and balance no one should have ultimate final say. Um, well, I'm going to have you share, uh, a number of years ago, you shared with me a study that was done. And I, and you may have even, we may have even had shared this in a, another podcast. I don't know. And we talk so much, I forget. I don't know, but you put me anymore. on the spot here, so I'm getting a little no, nervous. No, you'll know exactly what it is. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, they did a study on decision making, and they ran a war simulation. Oh, yeah. So... 
I found that really fascinating. It's that, always kind of stuck the, with me. The, the Franklin Covey Institute yeah. was uh, the the one that did. I mean, there probably have been others that have done this, but the the one you're referring to is the the Franklin Covey Institute. So, essentially, what it was is um, the U.S. military wanted to determine who were better leaders, uh, high level leaders, like generals. And so they did a war simulation where they took a, a team of all men against a team of all women. And in the study, what they found out was that the women were better decision makers. The women had better strategies. The women had better plans. But the men consistently were winning the war games and the reason why is because the men were able to execute in a more timely manner. So even though they had inferior strategy, the execution trumped the strategy. And so, you know, they, they learned from that. And honestly, uh, you know, before people really get hung up on the masculine-feminine side of, of the study— Yes, uh, you know, men tend to execute, which can, without a good strategy, can be detrimental, you know, and I think that there's... Which is why we always get lost. Yeah. (laughs) When we're driving, we get lost. (laughs) There's no strategy. (laughs) Right. And and what will a guy do when they're lost? Keep driving. Yeah. We won't stop and ask questions. (laughs) No way. So... You know, I'm I'm not trying to put out there whether or not, um, you know, uh, men or women make better leaders. Uh, I actually am a firm believer that you want to have both masculine energy and feminine energy in your management team. And if you're a manager of one, you probably should get a consultant that is of the opposite gender or has a very differing viewpoint to help balance you out. Yeah. You know, but the the point of the study that that I think you were getting at and that I want to hit on is the importance of executing on your decisions, even though you might not fully have all the information that you need. But in certain circumstances, decisions have to be made, and they have to be made in real time. And, and decisions that we're talking about, you know, we'll give you some examples. You know, if if uh, if you're developing a product that's going to market and an issue comes up, what do we do? Okay. Uh, sometimes we can't just scrap what we've done and start over. Mm-hmm. Uh, consumer buyers' behaviors change. And sometimes they can change literally overnight, you know, within a year. And if we're not making adjustments there, you find that, that pretty soon you're, you're way behind your comp- competition. Matter of fact, competition. It only takes someone else starting up and up in the area to create competition. And now you've got to make some tough decisions on how you're going to do business. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of things out there that are going to drive uh, decisions. And I, and I like to put the word profit in with risk, meaning that, that the greater effect it's going to have on our profit, the greater the risk. Mm-hmm. So, so when we talk about risk level, that's when I say the, the higher the risk, I, I associate it it has a greater effect on our profit. It could hurt our company versus something that has no effect on our business. It might be an important decision, but the risk is really low. Now, now keep in mind, and I want to clarify this, that doesn't mean that risky decisions and risky behavior are going to lead to higher profits. Correct. So high profit decisions equal high risk decisions, but high risk decisions don't always equal high profit decisions. Right. 
And so you got to understand that that road only, it's kind of a one-way street. And, you know, and so um, the other thing that I, I, I think is important to understand, and this gets into portfolio management, and that is that good portfolio managers, and to me, risk decisions is portfolio management because you've got to make multiple decisions. And some are going to be great decisions, some are going to be neutral decisions, and some are going to be bad decisions. And just like any portfolio, some investments are going to be good investments, some are going to be neutral break-even investments, and some are going to be bad investments. The goal is to have the good ones outweigh the bad ones. The goal is not to get rid of the bad ones. And so if your decision-making process is to eliminate all bad decisions, your risk tolerance is too low, my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So risk, you know, as we talk about this whole idea of risk and making the decisions, and now, now that we have to start making decisions, uh, my approach is, you know me, I'm, I'm much more analytical than, than you are. Mm-hmm. I like to have something. Well, of course, you, you're driven by numbers too. I tend to be probably a little bit more, um, be, you know, because you, you have some fascinating things that really pull out of numbers together with your growth by the numbers, et cetera, that are fast, fantastic trainings to help do stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, but you're but, a little more disciplined to go back to the numbers. I yeah, I, 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 I enjoy like that see, maverick where you just shoot from the hip and yeah. see what happens. Yeah, and I like to see patterns associated with it. Mm-hmm. Patterns tell me a lot about what is likely going to happen on this next decision. And, and that's where sometimes it's a curse for me because – um, if you have an anomaly, I, I don't have a pattern. Mm-hmm. And, and so I have to generally seek additional counsel to maybe start to put a pattern together to say, okay, uh, this has happened, this could happen, that could happen to do that. So, you, so I, one of the things I always do is, yeah, if I can't find patterns, then I always try to find someone to least counsel with. Okay. So I'm I'm going to pin you down on this one because I think this is a really important topic, and that is what's the balance between making real-time decisions? We just talked about the military study about the importance of execution, and now you're sitting here and saying, well, I'm going to go seek counsel, and I'm going to review the numbers. And so I I see people that they easily get confused, and they're just like, oh, I mean, I, I, I execute. Like speed, you know, the, there, there, there's no speed limits in progress. Or I heard some really stupid quote the other day. That, <laughs> like, what does that even mean? That just like sounds like something someone's trying to sell you. There's no speed limits in progress. Like, yeah, there's speed bumps. There are detours. Like, uh, progress doesn't just, you know, hit the gas and, yay, we're there. But anyway, so... How, how do you, you know, how, I hope the person who did that quote sent you an email. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think I quoted it exactly right, so maybe maybe yeah, you're safe. I don't I don't we'll see. That's that's the problem about trying to use real examples. I see, there's a risk there. There's a risk. There. And you shot from your hip. I did. I did. Yeah. No, if so, it, if but, you really wanted to nail me, man, if you went back through and listened to all the podcasts, maybe this is just like a subliminal. I'm trying to get people to listen to all the podcasts. But like if you pieced it together, uh, yeah, yeah, you could you could have enough ev- evidence to convict me about anything. <laughs> so, anyway, let's go back to the balance. Uh, risk versus data-driven decisions, counsel. Like wh- where does it well, all come into play? Remember, a lot of it can be done in minutes 
hour, not, it doesn't take days and weeks to do some of this. Thank you. So, I, and that's what people forget is when I make a decision, uh, I know if I have a file somewhere or if I know I have a colleague or, or, um, a mentor somewhere that I know has been through similar situations. A lot of times I can make a quick phone call and say, Hey, look, this is what I'm facing. Tell me what, tell me what you were thinking. What happened to you? Uh, what, what's some advice? And I don't necessarily take their advice, um, for, for, you know, full implementation of what right, it is. Right. I look and I weigh it out, giving the uniqueness of what we're doing. And then I make a decision knowing that it probably isn't going to be perfect. I mm-hmm. rarely have implemented anything that was fully perfect. Yeah. Um, however, a lot of times it gets me to that next level where there is more clarity and, and then you can, you can build off that clarity to clean up the decision. You know, that one of the greatest quotes I heard lately is uh, it's not a mistake if you can fix it. Mm-hmm. And, and that was eye opening to me because too many times I thought, oh, I've made a mistake. No, 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 no. Because I have the ability to fix, clean it up and, and rectify the whole thing to, to get it to where we needed to be so that, that we maintain those levels that we want. So I don't look at those as mistakes anymore as much as that's the process um, that we're going through in order to get that end result. So I'm so glad that you talked about taking a second and asking the question, and I'm going to use the analogy of a football huddle. And so yeah. in, in, in the game of football, American football, if, you know, if you look at successful teams, what do they do? They do a huddle. How long is that huddle? It's quick. It's a short huddle but they'll take the advantage of that huddle to just get everyone on the same page. Now, these are professionals. They should know how to play the game. They should know what's going on. But why do they still want to take a second and talk? Because real-life situations are always evolving. And so the the huddle, and that's, that's what I'm looking at here, is I'm saying, you know, kind of this difference between execution and data-driven decisions to me is the huddle. It, it, it's saying, and then even after the game, what do they do? That's when they do the analysis. That's when they, you know, go back and watch yeah. the video and really dig into what happened. When they have the time, they don't avoid the data because they're like, oh, I need to execute. It's like, no, they use the data at the appropriate time. So in, when it's real time, you do the huddle. After the action, you're sitting you, down. You have your half times and you have afterwards to, to clean Bigger things up. Yeah. Yes. That's a great analogy. You know, and, and again, just to hit back on the point, these are all professionals who all already know how to play the game at a really high level. They still need the huddle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, great, 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 great analogy. I really like that. And, of course, I love football. So <laughs> love college football. That's, you know, if you go to my office, that's what my, all my posters, well, posters, pictures, paintings, whatever they are. Yeah. American yeah. college football, love college football. So this time of year, I love, <laughs> love. But um, so, uh, yeah, so as we make those decisions and we go through that process, uh, we know that there's going to be a risk level in it. H- how do we, how do you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this will be good. <laughs> <laughs> because this comes up all the time. Because there's a level of stress or anxiety that's associated with, with uh, decisions that could affect profits. Yeah, and and yet, how do we how do we make those decisions and and, and sleep at night? Does that make sense? Because you know that if it's a wrong decision, it's going to affect payroll. I'm have to lay people off. It could ruin a product line. We can do some of that, um, and that's where I think a lot of time people freeze on making a decision. Because they're too afraid it's going to have too big of an effect instead of 
realizing that um, not making a decision is a decision. So this is a good thing to be bringing up. And this is one thing that I'm going to hit on. And that is that not every good or great, I'm going to use the term great, not every great employee should be uh, promoted to management just because they're a great employee. It does yeah. require a personality type. It does require someone who is capable of being in that, you know, in that position. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and uh, she's an accountant. And, you know, I, I was just saying to her, I'm like, I'm glad there are people like you that love to dig into the numbers. And, you know, like that actually lights you up. That gets you going and motivates you. For me, that's tedious. And even though, so my background is all in finance, I hate digging into the numbers. I like someone else to dig into the numbers, and then I like to look for the patterns within it. That's what mm -hmm. kind of lights me up. But, you know, anyway, I made that comment to her, and her response to me was so enlightening. Uh, she just commented to me, she's like, well, I'm glad there are people like you because I hate getting in front of people and having to talk. And I thought to myself, you know how easy it is to just talk? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even feel like I'm working half the time because I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I would be talking whether I'm getting paid to do it or not. And so I might as well be getting paid to do it. But in her mind, that was a challenge. She's like, I don't want to get in front of people and have to talk. Now, if I've got someone on my team who is great at numbers or great at engineering or great at production or whatever their skill set is, you know, they're an amazing coder, but they don't want to be making these decisions that affect people's livelihood, that affect the future of the company. They don't want to have to make those decisions. Don't put them in those roles. You know, you can keep yeah. them in... Uh, you know, you can keep them in their role. You can still show them appreciation. You can give them raises or bonuses or whatever you need to, to let them know, hey, we really value the work that you do, but I'm not going to put you in management because you're not good in management. That's not, you know, like I shouldn't be promoted to engineering just because I did really well at management. It, you know, if, if it can't go that way, why, why should I go from engineering to management if I can't go from management to engineering? We understand that, well, Engineering requires study and, you know, it takes time. And I'm like, yeah, so does management. And that's, yeah, that's a mistake as people think that management is just, well, you know, I've been at the company for five years. So, <laughs> you know, what, what does that have to do? I, maybe that gave you a chance to see the process, but that doesn't make you a good manager just because you've been here for a while. You know, every time that we, we have our side conversations and we talk about topics like this, I always... I uh, think about that TV show, The Office, and, and I forget the... <laughs> Life lessons, man. <laughs> I forget the officer or the main manager's name, but there's a couple episodes where he's forced to make a decision, and he just does not want to make them or afraid to offend someone or just starts making, you know, all the decisions he makes are, are he tells everybody exactly what they want to know or hear. Yeah. And it's it's funny to watch develop how much chaos it creates. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and instead of having one person with some frustration, now you have the whole company that is highly frustrated because it just is rippling and affecting everyone through that organization. And so you got to remember that sometimes if you're thinking, ah, what, yeah, but it's going to affect him and him and him and him. Well, you're, you may be right, but guess what? If you don't make that decision, 
it, it could be compounded even more when it starts rippling through, especially um, when when another department head says, if you're not going to make a decision, I'm going to start to do something. And then they take some entitlement that really isn't theirs yeah. to do that. Yeah. And, and now you have departments that are conflicting against each other and, and, and now you have a bigger mess to clean up. Yeah. So I, I, you know, it's always look at data, you know, what you can get your hands on, you know, and all this is, we've said this a, a number of times on this one, time, time is going to dictate, you know, what you can and can't dig into, but with the time allowed, take the data that you can get and that you know about. Uh, don't be afraid to counsel with colleagues, um, department heads, mentors, uh, to get a slightly different perspective, okay, to make sure that you're not uh, just walking around with blinders on when it comes to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, when you make that decision, know that we're probably going to make a few adjustments as we start into that process. And that is okay. That's okay. Because it moves us forward in that in that progression that is going to allow us to get to where we have better clarity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that honestly was a great uh, summary. Like there's, there's so much that we could delve into, but I really feel like that, that kind of tied up a lot of what we've covered today. So let's go ahead and wrap it right there. And uh, yeah, you, you've been listening to Marketing Management Money. This is uh, Ryan Murray, Ethan Migliori, and uh, hopefully uh, you enjoy this. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Take control of your business today. Go to learndesk.us and search marketing management and money for the small business insights you've always wanted. Be sure to stay tuned for new episodes on the first and third Wednesdays of every month and make sure to subscribe to be notified when we release bonus content such as interviews and short discussions.